it's you as a person who is sharing that technical expertise with your colleagues or putting it into practice or making something of it. So we cannot take the personal aspect out of the equation. It's completely wrong. So the saying, it's all business, it's not personal. It's wrong. It's a myth. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. We are here in the middle of season 14. Hard to believe, but we're already there. And uh, our guest today, well, we're going to be talking about something. I am just certain that you are familiar with that old uh, uh, project triangle, you know, the old saying, you can, there's, uh, what is it, quality, time, or money, choose two. Well, our guest today suggests there is an important fourth element that we are not giving enough consideration to, and uh, she's going to help us with that today. Her name is Josephine Campbell. She's the founder of Campbell Co., a top leadership consulting firm for multinational companies. Uh, She inspires and coaches leaders, teams, and talent in large organizations like McDonald's, Deloitte, uh, Novo Nordisk, and Carlsberg Group. Uh, She's practical and pragmatic, and you know we like the practical and pragmatic on this show. And I think I have to say, Josephine, you are the first four-time, actually, you're the only jujitsu champion we have ever had on this show, a four-time jujitsu champion, particularly interested in developing personal leadership in difficult circumstances. And uh, uh, Campbell, you've served as a serial entrepreneur and an external lecturer at Copenhagen Business School, and you're joining us today from Copenhagen. You're also the author of a book that is just coming out here. I think it's just been out for like, it's been available for sale, I think just for a couple of days, and it's going to be available in in a couple of weeks from the airing of this episode. The book is called Power Barometer, Manage Personal Energy for Business Success. And that gives you listeners a hint at what we're talking about today. Josephine Campbell, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you very much, David. Uh, it's, I'm so pleased that you could join us today. So uh, I know that you've listened to the show, so you know I have to start by asking you, just so we can get to know you just a little bit, about your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Take us back. What would be your first memory of yourself as a leader be? Oh, that was when I was in school. If there was something that we were discontent about, things we wanted to change, I would be the kid in the school class who would speak up and tell the teacher. Not always with success, I must say. Leadership in the, is hard in the early days, isn't it? And and then I founded my first company when I was just 21 years old. And at the age of 22, I had five employees. And I must say, I was not the best leader on the planet. I was trying. <laughs> but I had just heard a little bit about what how to lead people. And I had all these wrong ideas picked up. So I, I learned a lot the hard way. As do we all, I think, as do we. All. I don't know. I've never, I mean, I, we've talked to a great many people on this show and uh, and obviously many more in life. I don't know anybody who got it all right in their first ever leadership role, uh, whether that was business, volunteer, athletics, what have you. But we all are learning and we're all also bringing things to the table, which you certainly did as a young person, being willing to raise your hand and say, hey, there's some things I think need to be different. Mm. 
yeah, and that's kind of what we're trying to do today as well. I think I'm raising with my book, I'm raising my hand and I'm saying, hey, there's something here that needs to be different. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it. Uh, so we're talking today about energy. So the power barometer, manage personal energy for business success. Uh, and I want to go back to, you know, in the intro that we mentioned uh, your background in jujitsu and you open the book talking about the relationship. Like, so help us understand jujitsu championship and modern business life. What do those have in common? Yeah. So today I work as a coach for executives and in my practice, coaching executives to perform at their best under sometimes really difficult circumstances, I realized that even though I've been teaching, been teaching leadership in business school, I have a lot of scientific knowledge, a lot of coaching training and so on, what was most valuable, what had the biggest impact was when we applied some of the techniques that I learned from my senzai in jiu-jitsu to some of these difficult circumstances, because I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of leaders who learned a lot of fancy theories and methods. And when you're in the middle of it all, and when things go tough, then you kind of forget it, right? You just do what you normally do. So I realized I had to coach the leaders I'm supporting in how to do things differently, also in different circumstances, in difficult circumstances. In um, in martial arts, uh, in jiu-jitsu, which is a Japanese martial arts. Have, have you ever watched the Karate Kid? Oh, yes. Big fan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I grew yeah. up with the Karate Kid. The first one, the original, yes. Yes, yes, the first one, the original one. Yeah, so Ralph you Macchio, Mr. Pat Morita, absolutely, Mr. Miyagi. Exactly, Mr. Miyagi. That's where I want to get. So, so he he teaches Karate Kid all these wags on, wags off, and he has the Karate Kid has to do all the exercises. Why? It's to manage his inner self. It's not just for the physical movements. It's how to manage what happens inside yourself during a balance, uh, during a fight, to stay balanced, to stay focused, and to stay calm. And it's not, just, he, it's not just the physical balance of I need to maintain my, my physical balance so I don't fall over. It's that internal energy and balance that we're needing to manage. Yes, exactly. And whenever we have to do something differently than what we normally do, then it takes a large amount of awareness and in a balance. You have to stay calm. If you're all uh, excited or fired up for some reason, it's difficult to change your behavior. It's also different, difficult to do things differently than the, what you normally would do, which is what brought you to the challenges you're in. So, in martial arts, in jiu-jitsu, we have a couple of different types of championships. And one of them is um, is, is a offensive battle, as, as you've seen in Karate Kit, where you have the green tatami mats on the floor, you have a judge, there's a writ square around the area where you fight, the judge says, Hashimi! and then you start fighting. 
two times two minutes. It's it's a, it's a lot of fun. And you have to stay calm there as well, because otherwise you're just going to freak out, right? But uh, what I want to tell you about is another type of championship, which we call reaction track. So reaction track takes about one and a half or two hours to walk. And you walk through a desert area. There are 10 to 12 posts. And on each post, you will most likely get attacked by one or more people. And on some of them, you have to give first aid. Because in jiu-jitsu, we learn to take life with our hands. So we also learn how to preserve life with our hands. It's a, it's a, it's a fighting system that has ethics. And there's a day track and then there's a night track. So I did the first reaction track um, championship when I was 12 years old. And my sensei, his name is not Mr. Miyaki, but he was also a good one. And he trained us not only physically, not only the fighting techniques, but he also taught us how to calm our mind and nervous system before a battle. And I would use these techniques as I was walking in the forest. You know, it's a desert area, so very often it would be through a forest and there's no lighting in there. It's just you can't see a hand in front of yourself. You can only see there's these white stripes of flower on the path where you're walking that they put out so you know where you're going to walk. And if I could feel that my breath would be changing, that I would start getting into this reaction mode where you do things automatically, where you cannot stay calm and, and be aware of what happens around you, where you just go into this autopilot reaction mode, then I would start slowing my breath and breathe deep. And then I would be calm again. Then I could be in what I call the green zone. And in the green zone, you can use all of your brain. You, your nervous system is calm. So you can be much more aware of what goes on around you. If you get into what I call the red zone, that's where you get into the reaction mode. Then you um, react from your autopilot, but but also you you don't see what happens around you. You can become extremely focused. And it's a little dangerous because in business life, we celebrate the state of mind called focus. And focus can be good sometimes, but if you have to collaborate with other people, if you have to lead, if you have to solve complex problems, you need to be aware of what happens around you. Mm-hmm. So the same thing that happens to any person walking through a dark forest is potentially what can happen in a meeting or in business life as such, because we are under a lot of pressure. And our brain haven't evolved a lot for the past 10,000 years. So it will, if you're in a meeting where you feel threatened or you feel that you're being excluded or there's some other trigger happening, your brain and nervous system will happen the same way. It will react the same way as the other jiu-jitsu fighters who lost. They will get into the red zone. And the first year, when they were going to to, um, give us the medals, I thought they were wrong. You know, first you have the third, the the bronze medal, it's for Anna, the, the silver medal, it's for Sarah and the gold medal is for Josephine. And I told my sense, I know they must be wrong. 
I only practiced for a year. The other girls, they practiced for three or five or seven years. How can they, how can I win? Cannot be true. But it turns out that Anna, she beat up the guy at the post where you had to uh, give first aid because she completely, (laughs) she went into reaction mode. Panicked and said, threat, oh no. Yeah, but that's what happens to most people. That when they feel, when you feel threatened, when you feel like now I'm gonna get exposed or something's bad gonna happen, they get into the red zone and they see alarms and danger all over, and they'll beat or yell at anyone around them. And and when I say beat and yell, I also mean it as a metaphor, metaphor, sure. right? Because sure. you know there are people who, unfortunately, there are executives who will yell at people at work, but most people will not. They will bite at people in other ways, or they will just have. Um, facial expressions and micro signals that signals aggressive behavior in a very unpleasant way that other human beings are actually capable of picking it up and it creates a a working environment without psychological safety um, where you can, where collaboration, performance, innovation will not thrive (laughs) as much as it can if you have psychological safety, if people can read each other, if you're not being aggressive. It's, and yeah. so often, you know, leaders who are struggling with this will feel justified in their responses because they do perceive a threat. They do get frustrated. And so they will justify those responses. But what you're giving us here is a great metaphor of how we can manage our internal state and our state of mind in order to, as you say, be in the green zone and be far more um, constructive, productive proactive, all of those good pros with our, how we're approaching things. Let's go a little bit deeper now that we've got the, the metaphor in place. And, you know, in, in as we were starting, talked about the, um, the, the old three, you know, three point triangle in any project, money, quality, time, we can have two of those. One of them is always kind of seems to be in, in flux and you recommend we really need to pay attention to a whole nother dimension. And this is really the gist of the book, right? Is And mm-hmm. your thesis is that our energy is critical to our success as a leader in business, all of it. And that that is a missing component of that triangle when we really think about the big picture. Yes, for your own sake and for the sake of the people you manage <laughs> and the business. So, um, Personal energy is the fuel of the brain, right? The brain, it, the brain consumes about 20% of your personal energy. It's a lot. It, the brain only takes up like 3 to 4% in size. So um, do you think you can do equally good work when you're exhausted? Well, if, no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no. And if somebody sits and thinks, oh, yes, yes, sure I can. I can pull through. Yes, you can pull it through. But you're going to be um, less reluctant to come up with new ideas and and consider all the factors you have. You're going to be less uh, likely to pick up signals from the market or people around you or understand what if, if, if you're attending customers, you're going to be less likely to pick up what they really want. Um so we need energy to perform at our best. And then there's already been written a lot of literature about what you can do on your own for yourself. 
to manage your own personal energy, like get enough sleep and eat well and, and so on. So what I focus on in this book is, you know, we spend most of our awake hours at work. Okay. So how do we manage our personal energy together in the teams, in the groups when we are at work? I was going to say, there's a distinction that you bring up and you just used the word personal. And I just thought this was such a, a, an important distinction because many people wrestle with the distinction between professional, private, and personal. Mm -hmm. And I, I, this was, a, I thought, a valuable distinction. I wonder if you could help us understand the difference when we're talking about professional, private, and then what you call personal. Yes. So professional and and uh, private, that's antithesis. So private is what you will do with the weekends if you're not working. It's, a, you know, what goes on in your family or between your friends. Professional is uh, the task you're solving, the challenges you're dealing with at work, um, your title. But it's all you as a person. You as a person is the tool for your professional work. And also for your private life, it, you're the medium of leading. You as a person is the medium of collaboration. Uh, even though you are a technical specialist, it's you as a person who is sharing that technical expertise with your colleagues or putting it into practice or making something of it. So we cannot take the personal aspect out of the equation. It's completely wrong so the saying it's all business it's not personal it's wrong it's a myth and when we treat people that way and if we treat ourselves like we should oh we shouldn't take it personal it's just business we're turning people into machines and we're not and that actually comes back to the scope triangle that you mentioned in the beginning of this podcast i say we have this fourth dimension that we should add to the scope triangle, personal energy. So you have time, quality, money, and personal energy, because it confines logic in most businesses today, not to include personal energy. In most businesses today, the most valuable asset, it's people, people's brain. It's, you know, you want people to get engaged. You want people to be creative. You want people to stay working with you because it's very expensive to have a quick turnover of employees as well. You want people to be able to collaborate and solve complex problems together. It takes energy. And it can give energy to solve complex problems together if you have good energy in a meeting, if you have good energy at work. That's what we want to achieve. We all know the feeling of collaborating with a good colleague and, and feeling completely energized going out of that meeting. But unfortunately, I think most people can also recognize the feeling of being in a meeting and suddenly someone just takes out all the energy of the meeting and you feel drained when you leave the meeting. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. That, that fourth dimension of energy, it's so interesting. It doesn't fit on a spreadsheet easily. And so we, you know, in so many business contexts, if it doesn't go on a spreadsheet, are we paying enough attention to it? But it's such a vital resource. And so you give us a number of different ways in the power barometer to 
think about and manage and create awareness and take responsibility for not just our energy, but the energy we're giving, receiving, and so on. So I want to start with a tool that you, well, not start, we've already started, but I want to continue with a tool that, that plays a, a big role in the book. You mentioned it already in the green zone, the red zone, and this is what you call the awareness matrix. Uh, two-axis graph on the horizontal axis, we've got uh, whether our brain is ready or hijacked. Those are the two ends of the continuum. And then our energy is either high or low. So I wonder if you might walk us through this matrix. What do we mean by high energy, low energy? What do we mean by hijacked versus ready and the interplay between them? Yes. So if we start with the horizontal axis, the ready hijacked, it's uh, it relates to the metaphor, uh, well, the the story about going through the forest on the reaction track. So I've mentioned a couple of times that you have this reaction mode where you behave on your autopilot when you're in the red zone, where people do what they normally will do when they're under pressure. And for some people, it's biting of other people. For some people, it's hiding. For some people, it's not doing anything. And that's these situations where you think afterwards, oh, why didn't I say something? Yeah. And uh, it's because you were in the red zone. You were not cognitively capable of doing anything else than what you did. It, it And, you know, a weakness of human beings is that we tend to identify ourselves with our best self. It happens to us throughout a normal day that we will get into the red zone a couple of times at least. It's quite normal. You know, it doesn't have to be dramatic. And in those situations, we are not cognitively capable of, of thinking logically, being creative, having empathy, like collaborating well with others, having self-awareness. And because we lose self-awareness, we're not aware of what is happening in those moments. So that's... Um, that's the red zone. Then in the green zone, that's where we want to be. That's where we are ready. So we can be our best self and all the cognitive functions are well-functioning. And uh, you can see things from different perspectives and think clearly. Uh, so that's the difference between ready and hijack. Then we have the vertical axis, high and low energy. And some people would think, oh, high energy. It must be like euphoria. And it's not necessarily, right? You can be very, very calm with high energy, like Mr. Miyagi or good any other good martial artist. You have this um, feeling of being connected and, and being grounded, and you have enough energy, you have enough resources to do whatever you got to do. So it's the same feeling like if you wake up in the morning and you're not tired, then you're high energy. So it's not about being frantic or energetic. It's about yeah. your reserves and potential. Yes, exactly. And then when you're on low energy, you are drained from energy. But then we have four squares in the matrix. So you can be low in energy, but still be in the green zone. I call that mellow. And it's not a bad thing to be mellow. You could also say tired, but I think mellow is a little more positive because it's not bad. And I always say like, what? So, so you get tired and then what? So what do you have to do? Well, you have to recharge your batteries. 
Like you have to get your energy up again, or you have to accept that in this moment, I only have a little energy left. So I'm going to adjust my behavior and expectations accordingly to that I'm low on energy. So I could enter a meeting low on energy and be very calm, not sitting and solving everything in the planet <laughs> in that meeting. And maybe even at the end of the meeting, you would have raised your energy. It, like energy can go up and down very quickly. And um, on the top, in the green zone, you have agile, mentally agile. That's where we should be when we lead, when we collaborate, when we perform, and when we fight as a martial artist. So that's the times where you want to be able to sense what goes on inside myself, what goes on around me, and think logically, be analytical, uh, be creative, so you can come up with the best response to the moment. And you can act accordingly to it. So that's agility. It's, it's about being flexible, being smooth. It not, it's not necessarily about being fast. It's about a timely response. So as I was walking through the dark forest on the reaction track, Remember I told you I would put my awareness inside myself to check on my breathing and what was going on inside myself and if that was well. Mm -hmm. And then I would put my attention outside myself to try and sense what would happen around me. I would try to listen to see if, if there was a post coming up. But, you know, they're very, very good. They're professional people. They would not give away by chit-chatting. So I would use my senses to sense if they're where people around me. And do, do you think you can sense if you're in a dark room and there are people there, even though you cannot see them? Yeah. So most people can. A lot of horror movies have been built around that concept, right? And it's because it's a human quality. It's something we can do. Again, our brain have not evolved for the past, a lot for the past 10,000 years. So we have been designed to survive in wild circumstances, in the dark forest. So surely, if we haven't shut down those mechanisms, which some people do, then we can actually sense p other people. We're social animals. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So that's where we want to be. And then you have the red zone. And, um, you know, we just have to admit it happens to us all the time. It even happens to me who wrote a book about it. Can I keep on practicing being in the green zone? But we do get into that red zone where we become unaware and where we all our behaviors are on the autopilot. And we're designed for that because the brain wants to preserve energy. So it's trying to do as much on the autopilot when you're unaware as possible. And especially when you're under pressure, it's all about survival. <laughs> It doesn't differentiate a lot, the brain. It cannot see, oh, I'm not in a dark forest. I'm not in a cave. I'm in a meeting with 10 other people wearing a suit. It cannot, the brain can't differentiate. Yeah. So you, in the bottom, you have this, the, the quadrant where we have too many people. You don't want to go there. I call it fragile. And, you know, even the strongest people can be become fragile when you over time 
is subject to a lot of pressure. Um, if you have to compromise your values, if you're being drained all the time, if your personal boundaries are being trespassed all the time, it wears you out and you become fragile. And we can see that today in mental health number, um, statistics and suffering from severe stress, being so ill that you have to stop working or that you can suddenly you lose your ability to concentrate and focus. It's too normal. It happens all the time. And for clarity, in our matrix, just positioning this, so we're at the bottom of the vertical where we've mm -hmm. got low energy, where we're fatigued, run down, et cetera, <laughs> and, then, and then hijacked in that reactionary brain mode and feeling and perceiving threats and on autopilot as a result and all of that combination is where we're into that fragile zone, <laughs> which I think we can all relate to. Everybody has been there and it's easy to see in other people. The other yeah. red zone, I thought, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, I think this is such an important one for us to know and mm. to be aware of. Uh, this final quadrant that we're talking about is where you're high energy, but you're more on the hijacked reactive side. Yeah. And that's that narrow, you call this the narrow quadrant, this narrow mindset. And what is that all about? Yeah, it's when you are in that focus mode, you're focused and you don't see what's around you. You don't want to listen to other people. You just promote your own ideas and you just want to get things done. You just want to get to where you want to go. And a lot of people, a lot of business leaders get into that mode when they feel the pressure mm -hmm. and they feel, okay, now I got to get things done. And the problem is that today um, we, the, the, the challenges we are facing are complex and we have to listen to our stakeholders and we have to listen to the market and the customers and the employees. And, and if you get into that focus mode that I call narrow, you're not going to be able to come up with the best solutions. You're not going to be able to perform at your best. And you can also wear down other people. This is the, this is the, this is the quadrant. This is the mindset that your competitor was in when reactive faced with the uh, the threat or perceived mm -hmm. threat was so mm -hmm. narrowly focused on overcoming threats as opposed to oh this is a time maybe i should be doing something else exactly exactly so she would beat up the person who was uh, stimulating that they needed first aid right all right so this is the awareness matrix and it's an important way to think about our mindset and figure out where we are and what we need in order to either calm ourselves and, and move ourselves from hijack to ready. And we'll talk about how to get there in a moment or to replenish our energy, but to create that awareness of where we are. Mm -hmm. All right. And I think, David, I think it's important to mention that uh, we can, throughout a day, we can move through the different quadrants many times. So sometimes people ask me, so like fragile, it's like, it's like when you go there, then you stay there. It's like, no, 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 you can be fragile for a moment and then you can move up to narrow or, you know, or you can move into mellow. All right. We're talking with Josephine Campbell. The book is called Power Barometer, Manage Personal Energy for Business Success. And we've been talking about the 
the uh, awareness matrix and all the different mindsets we can find ourselves in the interplay between high and low energy and whether our brain is ready and able to be agile or if it's more reactive and hijacked. And so, Josephine, as we think about this model and think about uh, going about our day, and you've mentioned a couple of times here that this is dynamic, that we can move around. How do we start taking responsibility for our mindset and our state of being when we're perceiving these, or maybe maybe we even need to start by focusing on how we perceive that, but what do we do with this information to manage ourselves and to be better leaders? Yeah, so the first and foremost important step is to start being aware, to start paying attention. And if you can do that, just doing that, it's going to have a huge impact in itself. And it's also the hardest step is to be aware because our mind is going to wander off. And throughout the day, we're going to move into the red zone and be reactive and act on the autopilot. So um, be aware as much as you can and then take responsibility for your behavior. So we cannot change other people, but we can, if we're in the green zone, we are, have a, some moments of pure freedom to make free choices of how we want to behave and, you know, take those chances and just try it out a little bit. I always say, if you're going to try a new behavior and you feel nervous about it or you feel a little uncomfortable about it, pick some safe spaces to try the new behavior. So you could um, try that behavior in a meeting with some people you have a long history with who knows you very well, where it's not like you're going to risk a lot just to stand up and speaking, if that's what your issue is, for example, if you normally just sit there and say nothing, or if you're going to stay still because you say a lot normally. <laughs> Actually, I work with a leader who is a great leader, but that person is giving too much Probably some people have, some lead, other me leaders are familiar with this concept, being too active in meetings, leaning too much forward. So we are practicing that this leader lean backwards a little bit. But in the beginning, it felt like a, a huge step because it was so unfamiliar <laughs> not to lean in and take control and manage everything. But actually have turned out that it has increased performance and well-being a lot so take responsibility and then try out a few different behaviors little by little yeah it's 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 not rocket science but it's difficult to do in practice one of the the suggestions or, or invitations that you make that i thought was important is a lot of the focus and always in leadership we lead ourselves first and so creating the awareness for ourselves and getting to those practices and you give us some more ways to to do that in the book so we start there but it's also taking responsibility not just for our own energy but the energy that we're giving to others mm -hmm. and you have a number of examples uh of 
of leaders in different circumstances and the ways that they're interacting with people and recognizing where they can become an energy drain for other people even, um, not through any ill intent, but just the way that they're going about things and maybe needing some extra communication. And I, I was fascinated and hadn't really thought of this in this way before, this lens of the energy that we're giving or affecting for other people. So I wondered if you might uh, share a little bit about that, about how we take responsibility for the energy we're giving to others. Yes, and David, it's it's more than just what you give to others. It's the energy you can sense in the room. So the shared energy. So it's not only your part, it's the collective, like the energy, the atmosphere in the meeting. If you walk into a meeting room, you can feel the atmosphere, can't you? Yeah, so um, I have a case from one of the top three accounting firms in the world in the book. Um, and it's a case uh, of um, a department where they have promised each other that they were all going to take responsibility for the energy when they collaborate. So, for example, they promised each other that in a meeting, if they, someone can feel that the energy is dropping, they will speak up. And they will say, oh, the energy is dropping now. Is it because what we're talking about is not important? Is it because the meeting is too long? Is it because people need a break? And thereby, they are increasing effectiveness. They're increasing customer satisfaction. They're increasing retention, engagement. They became the best performing unit in the company. And since I wrote the case, the responsible manager has been promoted as an equity partner. So she, she went all the way to the top of the firm. So a lot of good things happens when you start taking responsibility for the energy in the room. It addresses all the things that we normally don't talk about or we don't have a vocabulary for. And still, it's very tangible and we can even quantify it. You said before it's difficult to put into an Excel sheet, but I wouldn't say it's more difficult to put into an Excel sheet than quality is. We just have to quantify it. And that's what I've done with the power parameter. Yes, indeed. And you have several examples in the graphics to go with it in the book where there, that, there's an actual barometer and you can take a look at what is our energy, what is and how we're looking at that and then be able to, to make decisions and change our course of action on that basis. Yeah, very true. Fantastic. Talking with Josephine Campbell, the book is called The Power Barometer, Manage Personal Energy, for business success, talking about this fourth dimension uh, the, of the old project triangle, quality time uh, and uh, uh, money and adding this dimension of energy that's so critical. So Josephine, where can we connect with you, uh, learn more about the book, uh, find the book, find you, where, where do we go? So on my personal website, josephinecampbell.com, you can read more about the book. You can also get some free resources, some of the, um, for example, the, the matrix and other tools that uh, are from the book, uh, free exercises. You can find it in the freebie section if you want to try it, some of it yourself. And uh, the book, you should be able to get it anywhere where you get your books. 
All right. So we'll check that out. Again, the name of the book is The Power Barometer, Manage Personal Energy for Business Success. And uh, there is so much in the book that you've got for us. Uh, uh, and just to highlight a couple things for listeners, uh, you've got a great section about seeing the trees in your forest. And I love that metaphor and going back to the dark forest at night. But the, the uh, being able to really stop and reflect and perceive some of the different uh, how we're going about what's affecting our energy and so forth. Uh, addressing your autopilots, all of these different dynamics. But the one that I wanted to ask you about because I love the uh, I love the idea of this one. You have a section about how to deal with absurdity. Oh yeah, we all face absurdity, and if it's not from our team or our boss or our board or some other human being in the, in the company, it's going to be from a customer or a client or an external partner. Absurdity happens. How do we deal with that and manage our energy through all that in a productive way? Yeah, so that's that's the moment where you need to be agile, mentally agile, to change your perspective. You know, there are situations which are absurd, and all you can do is to change how you see things. So if you think that your eyes are a video camera that portrays the reality as it is directly into your brain, you're wrong. That's not how the brain works. So the, the brain is going to pick up cues from all of your senses and then it's going to put them through filters which are sense making that you have created throughout your life and how you make sense of things. Uh, last week I was doing a, a workshop with a, a group of 35 leaders and there was this sound in, it's just to give you an example, there was this sound in, in the auditorium and I said to them, because that was the air conditioner, right? So I said, you know what the sound is? And and they say, yeah. And I said, if you were two years old, would you think it was a, a tractor, a motor? <laughs> and they would say, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we make sense of things in ways that we have been conditioned to, that we learned was right. And very often in ways that we learned have served us well or made us thrive and survive. So we have the freedom to change that. So it's all about putting yourself in other perspectives, putting yourself in the shoes of others. I have an example in the book with a leader who literally would sit down and imagine she is sitting in the chair of everybody she's going to meet with if she's facing a difficult meeting. Yes. And she's going to try to think like them and feel like them. And I love that she's also feeling like them. Because if you're only trying to think like them, you're going to get them wrong. <laughs> she's very smart. She's very successful. That's yeah, a and powerful, powerful technique to to visualize, truly visualize what each of the people are going to be thinking and feeling so that you're able to address those concerns and, and meet them where they are. Yes. And and try, if you if you want to do it, try and imagine that they are them. They're not you. They don't think like you. How would they think? Mm -hmm. How would they feel? What would trigger them emotionally to feel unsafe, to feel threatened? And if you work with people for a little while and you're a good leader, you probably have a sense of how different people work. Put it into work. 
That's uh, I, I have long believed that the most effective leaders are true students of the human condition and what it means to be a human being. And we understand people and starting with ourselves. And so part of what I hear you saying is the, uh, when faced with absurdity is not just to assume it is absurd, but to start with, okay, let me broaden my perspective and see if I can understand this from a different perspective, because maybe it's not as absurd as I initially thought. Yeah, or maybe even though the situation is really absurd, because, for example, I use the example of Viktor Frankl, a Jewish um, prisoner in a concentration camp during the Second World War. And that is an absurd situation he was in. It was so horrible. And um, But changing his perspective on the idea of why he should stay alive or what what could what ideas who could keep him alive could serve him so sometimes it's just to serve yourself just to survive or just to get through something i also use uh, an elaboration on the sisyphus metaphor it's an old greek metaphor and just after the first world war there was a lot of depression and the French um, existentialist philosopher Camus, he wrote a piece on how Sisyphus can smile. And that's actually what uh, inspired me for, for the chapter on, uh, I call it how a leader can smile. And it's it's about how to deal with absurdity. And um, and it inspired me the way he describes it. So the myth about Sisyphus, it's the Sisyphus has to uh, push up a rock up the hill and the minute he's up the hill with the rock, it goes down again and he has to do it over and over again. So Camus, he says, so you see Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill. And then there is this moment where there is sun shining and it sparkles in some of the rocks. And suddenly there's this beautiful light shining from the other rocks. So there's this little spark. And Sisyphus... He chooses to look at that beauty from this little rock sparking. And it makes him smile. And thereby he changes his state of mind. And that is a way to deal with the absurdity. So in, in coaching, even when we have to make sense of difficult emotions. We also have a technique where I say to people, for example, look up in the ceiling and smile. Because if you if you have to, if you connect to some difficult experiences you had, and then afterwards you have to stay sane and, and make sense of it and, and connect to another part of you, you need that change. And if you look up in the ceiling and you smile, or if you look at something beautiful, it could be in a horrible meeting, but someone put a flower on the table and that flower is just beautiful. Or there's something in the sky and you can just look at that, connect to that. Then that very moment, you're going to change your mind and it's going to give you that little second of freedom to make a deliberate, free choice of how you want to react, of who you want to be. And start to move us from back from hijacked over to ready or from low energy back up to higher energy. Yes, exactly. 
Our guest today has been Josephine Campbell, author of The Power Barometer, Manage Personal Energy for Business Success. Uh, Josephine, thank you so much for being a guest with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Listeners, pay attention. Your body has something to tell you. The focus on that body intelligence, cultivating your awareness of the of your energy and the energy in the room and helping your team to do the same thing and then taking responsibility for that, making those adjustments and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.